Amen. Thank you, Bonnie and Linda. Spectacular as always. Little did anyone notice they did not practice this week. <laughs> but it was perfect. So, I mean, it was great. You did wonderful. <laughs> They're going to throw something at me later, I know it. Going to have to dodge. Be prepared. All righty. So, um, we're in chapter 39, so if you have your Bibles, please open them up to chapter 39 today. And if you don't, it'll be behind me on the screen of Isaiah. Um, and a little bit of what's going on, again, we are in what's called a descriptive text. We're looking at things that have happened in the course of history when it comes to Hezekiah in particular and his reign. Um, little stories and snippets of his life. We talked about the Assyrian invasion, and then last week we saw how um, even before the Assyrian invasion, Hezekiah had been sick to the point of death, and so he prayed to God that God would heal him, and God heard him and did heal him and gave him an extra 15 years of life. Um, now we're going to see chapter 39, and in a way, how it's interesting how it plays out. Um, very, very strange way. Um, but with that also, uh, A... This is a shorter sermon, so everyone can be, yay. Everyone's excited about that. And B, chapter 39 kind of ends a section of Isaiah. Um, so either next week or the week after. I haven't decided yet if we're going to have like a, a Father's Day sermon. We'll take a vote. Um, <laughs> we'll take a vote if we want an actual Father's Day sermon or not. If we don't, then we're going to be in chapter 40 next week. Wait, no. If we don't, yeah. If we don't, we're going to be in chapter 40 next week. If not... That, or if we do, then we will not be in chapter 40 next week. It'll be the week after. In either case, chapter 40 is going to begin with a lot of thoughts with biblical studies and things like that. So be prepared to put on your thinking caps for the beginning of chapter 40. Um, there's a lot there that's just very interesting. All right. So with that, time to back to Hezekiah and his life and things that are happening. So verses 1 through 4. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. All right, so chapter 39 picks up directly after chapter 38. As we remember, Hezekiah had been ill even to the point of death, but God spared him of death and even added 15 years to his life. The dramatic turn from deathly ill to healthy would naturally cause some political interest, intrigue. Though it should also be noted that Merodach Baladin was a significant thorn in the side of Babylon, um, side of actually Assyria, two times. The first was in 720 to 710 and the second from 704 to 701. Thus, it is likely that Babylon wanted to encourage Judah to stand against the Assyrians because nobody liked the Assyrians at the time, as we've seen over and over and over again. Regardless of the many potential reasons Babylon sent an envoy to Hezekiah, we find Hezekiah's response interesting. 
He welcomes them with open arms, so to speak. He even goes further than necessary by showing them all the wealth accumulated in Judah. That Hezekiah shows them these things is interesting historically because it informs us that Hezekiah had not as yet paid tribute to Assyria. And secondly, because in reality, Hezekiah's wealth was meager at best compared to Babylon's riches. Still, he shows them like a child attempting to impress his friends or bigger siblings with a new toy. It makes sense. Babylon was far larger than Judah and in the world politics stage had a bigger hand to play. At this point enters Isaiah to the scene though. He asks two very simple questions. What were the envoys saying to Hezekiah and where did they come from? Certainly this is a reasonable question and could be answered quite clearly. Hezekiah, however, avoids the first question and focuses on the second. They have come from a far country, from Babylon. Some notice that Hezekiah likely didn't want to talk about what they talked about because it was likely some kind of encouragement to rebel against Assyria. Still, Hezekiah's focus on where they come from is also telling in that he thinks highly of them. They come from a far country. Isaiah then asks another interesting question. What was it that Hezekiah showed them? Hezekiah's response is honest. He has shown them everything. There was nothing left to show them. All the wealth that had been blessed with and the splendor was revealed to the Babylonians. Now we come to the response, uh, verses 5 through 8 in the end of this chapter. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, There will be peace and security in my days. All right, so it was interesting before, but now it gets even more interesting. Isaiah speaks the word of the Lord to Hezekiah. Um, that Isaiah speaks the word of the Lord reminds us that it is not Isaiah's own words which are spoken, but those coming from the living God. As such, there is a proclamation that in the future, all the treasures and wealth which had been accumulated throughout the reigning Davidic dynasty in Judah will be carried away to Babylon. All the things which had been shown to Babylon, all the things Hezekiah was so proud to show, all the things he believed were his, will in the end, in the future, belong to Babylon. These individuals he was so desperate to please. Not only this, but even some of Hezekiah's descendants will be taken away to Babylon. They will be emasculated and serve, um, serve the king of Babylon. This is in many ways a sad thought that some of Hezekiah's descendants would not be able to continue the family line, but would be wholly directed to serving the king of Babylon and his line instead. The response from Hezekiah over the word has been taken positively and negatively. If it is positive, Hezekiah's response is one of understanding. He recognizes that the God's word is good despite it being against him and his household. Regardless of the circumstance, God's word is good by definition. However, there is a sense in which it is negative. Hezekiah may accept God's word, but does so recognizing that there will be little problem in his own time. Indeed, he is willing to plead to God when his own life was at stake, yet he ignores the reality of his children and seems to not care about them at all. Even then, assuming that all this happens prior to Assyria, his own thought on the issue is false. Assyria will come, 
and he will not have peace or security in his days. In fact, under his reign will almost come the end of the dynasty, very close anyway. It is only by God's grace that Assyria is turned away. But as we find here, the hope placed in other nations often comes back on the kingdom. Ahaz trusted in Assyria, and Assyria almost conquered Judah. Hezekiah trusts in Babylon. Babylon will conquer Judah. Ultimately, the end of chapter 39 reminds us of two things. The first is Hezekiah, though a good king, was also capable of erring and trusting in things, people, kingdoms, etc., rather than trusting in God. The second is that Hezekiah is not the promised one. He is not the one on whom the people can place their hope. No, there must be another. So the main point of these verses are to describe what happens after Hezekiah had been healed. The Babylonians sent letters and envoys to Hezekiah concerning his return to good health. Yet, we find something more in the subtext as Hezekiah shows them everything he has. Isaiah then confronts Hezekiah, which ultimately leads to the prophetic statement that in the future, Babylon will rule over Judah. And it's because they continue to do the same thing over and over and over again, trusting in these foreign powers for their security, and it always ends up in them being conquered instead. All right. Throughout the history of Judah and Israel, the majority of the kings after David and Solomon have been lackluster at best. Perhaps the greatest to come after David and Solomon was Hezekiah himself. Indeed, Hezekiah had shown himself to be a devout follower of the God of his forefathers. He had established the practices God had wanted for the people and had discouraged pagan worship better than perhaps any of the others. Indeed, when it comes to the Assyrian threat, we found Hezekiah to be a leader who was willing and able to stand against them the right way by faith. He knew God and trusted the promises of God. Despite the Assyrians who would threaten him and his people, in the end, Hezekiah showed us an individual who was worried about being destroyed himself, but just as worried about God being dishonored by foreign pagans. Even further, when we find Hezekiah on death's doorstep, we find him to be a man of faith. He asks to be remembered by God, but also that God would remember David's house as well. The prayer of Hezekiah and the psalm as well shows us an individual who believes God is capable of doing great things, even bringing him from the verge of death and giving him life. As such, this is exactly what God does. Yet it is interesting to consider that shortly after God grants Hezekiah life instead of death, this Babylonian envoy arrives. One has to wonder, if Hezekiah had died, would they have come? Would they have sent envoys? Or would they recognize Judah would be an inadequate partner for a scheme against Assyria? A Judah without an heir to the kingdom seems a less likely threat than a king who has been reigning for over a decade. One can surmise it is because God had granted Hezekiah life that they came at all. And through that envoy came the declaration from God through Isaiah that Babylon would one day carry Judah away. There are lessons to be learned here. The first is clear. Let's not squander the gifts and blessings God has given us. One of the greatest ways we do this is by utilizing our gifts and blessings to build ourselves up. We like to look good in front of others. Yet the question is, why are you talented the way you are? If you are intelligent, from whence does it come, your ability to gain knowledge? If you are strong, where does your ability to gain strength come from? 
When it comes to spiritual gifts, why were they given? Were they given so that you or I could be seen and recognized as the great person that we are? While it is true that we are unique individuals and worthy of dignity and sanctity and have intrinsic worth, being made in the image of God, we also know that these things were not given just for our own benefit. We know the gifts given, the blessings bestowed, are given so that we can glorify God and lift him up. It does not end with just the gifts given in this life or the blessings given, because the truth is life itself is a gift given to each of us. It is possible none of us should exist. It is possible God could have created some other individuals other than each of us. And we could never have experienced all the wonders, the feelings, the thoughts, and being of existence. It is given to us as a gift. Hezekiah's story in my mind is not so different than each of our own. Each of us looks death right in the face. We may not feel it today. We may not feel the pangs of death right now, this second. We may not be ill or damaged to the point where we are but a few moments from death. But the truth is death is a blinking light in the future ahead of us. It is there waiting for us sometime ahead. In God's time, each of us will arrive at that blinking light and we will face what the Lord has in store for us. Yet we also know that though we should face death, we know it has no power over those who are in Christ Jesus. As such, we, like Hezekiah, are granted more life through him. That new life begins the moment God's grace comes upon us and we place our faith in the work of Christ. It begins the moment we accept his lordship over us and we begin to stand firm on the true foundation for all of reality. Just as Hezekiah was granted life from death, so we are as well. Yet this should cause us to consider the reaction of Hezekiah when confronted by the world. Instead of rejoicing in God by telling the Babylonians God exists and he has worked in this world and instead of showing the world the glory of God, Hezekiah instead showed his own glory. This is a temptation for each of us in this new life. A temptation to take for granted the gifts. A temptation to take the glory for ourselves. Temptation to look great before each other, before the world, in hopes that we will receive higher esteem and prestige. Yet could there be anything more foolish than this? Without God, we would not exist at all. Without God's grace, we would still be dead in our sins. What do we have to glory about in the end when our very lives depend utterly on our God? That a king, such as Hezekiah, was able to fall so quickly and that we have the same temptations to do so shows exactly why we are not sufficient and why the ultimate point of Isaiah 1 through 39 is to show that there must be one greater than all the earthly powers and all the personal strengths we possess. Yes, there is one, and that is God Almighty. He is the great one, the one who is able where we are unable, the one who is powerful where we are powerless, the one who gives meaning and purpose to life where we find none on our own. We should be thanking God for reminding us of this. We should be thanking him for having placed this episode of Hezekiah's life in the history books. Otherwise, it would be possible for us to think we were sufficient on our own. As it is, even the best of us are incapable of reaching the glory of God. For we all fall short, we all sin, we all fail to glory in the one who loves us so much. Hezekiah was great in comparison to the other kings and many of the people of the time. 
Yet in comparison to God, he seems just as small and quaint as the king of Assyria does. Hezekiah is not the one we were hoping for, the one who would bring about ultimate peace. No, there is another. It is God himself who is capable and able to do all this on his own and has done so. I think the encouragement from all this is to look forward from the time of Hezekiah. To be reminded that no human person alone can truly save us from our greatest enemies. It requires some, someone greater than us, greater than our enemy. The one from whom all good things flow, the king of truth, the one in whom we find life eternal. If we want to know the way, the path of righteousness, of goodness, of morality, it requires us to acknowledge him, give glory to him, and give back this life to him. As Christ says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's not let our light be squandered, but let us seek to give glory to the one who is greater. Again, I said shorter sermon today. <laughs> Ellen, have I talked about your hair? <laughs> Great haircut, Ellen. Um, no, I think that we can kind of we can see the gospel in this episode of Hezekiah's life for sure. Um, and when it comes to the gospel of Christ, it all begins with our origins. It begins with a cause. All the universe, all of reality begins with something other than nothing. And as it is, we know that God exists and he has created this whole universe for us to experience. And he created humanity to bear his image. So that in that way, we have dignity, sanctity, and worth to life. Every single human being, no matter their race or gender. And because of that, we are able to treat each other with respect because of this. And we're called to respect each other because of this. But also in this story, we find the fall of humanity. We see greed. We see... Um, conniving. We see people trusting in other powers other than God. And throughout human history, if there was one theme that we've seen when we've went through Genesis and now we've gone through Isaiah, the one theme has been trust in this other than God and you will succeed. And every single time it leads to death. There has not been a time when humanity has not been tempted with some other power where it did not lead to anything other than powerlessness. And as it is, that is the result of the fall. Sin does this to us. So that way we think if we act in ways which are contrary to the way that God wants us to act, we'll attain power. But in reality, the only way to attain power, the only way to be able to experience greatness is to become a servant of God. Yet we continue to choose ourselves. We continue to choose sin. We continue to choose our own ways, our own uh, minds, our own abilities in order to carry us further along. And it always leads to more devastation for this world. And we see it now in our world. But we can be thankful. We can be thankful because despite ourselves, despite the fact that we've done this repeatedly since the beginning... Despite the fact that we continue to be tempted by this. And that even though we have life, even in Christ, we still continue to fall into it. Despite all this, Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, and he rose in time, space, history, and flesh. So that we can have life and we can now see 
the reality that our God is greater than the world. And we can begin to trust more and more in God, knowing that those who trust in God will overcome, not because they are so great, not because we are so powerful, but because Jesus Christ lives today. That is the power. And we get to experience it, each one of us, if we place our faith in Christ. And where does it lead? For those who don't believe, it leads to devastation. It leads to death, destruction. It leads to becoming a shade and nothing more. No life there. But to those who believe and have faith and give themselves over to Christ and live in repentance and faith, they will experience life eternal. And the exhaustion that we feel when we confront sin and we battle it, that exhaustion will be gone because there will be no sin left to battle. And I am looking forward to that time. I'm looking forward to a time when all the powers of the world are gone and there's no temptation left. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the life of Hezekiah, for the life of Isaiah. And that you have given us these words to remind us that no power is greater than you. And Lord, even though we should be tempted, even though we should be tried in this time, and we should be tossed about sometimes by the waves, we know that you are the steady foundation, the rock on which we can hold fast. And Lord, we know that those who hold fast to you will find truth. They will find all the things that they've been searching for. And it's amazing, Lord, how through your son, Jesus Christ, you remind us over and over again that when you serve, you achieve greatness. So, Lord, let us continue to serve you above all. Let us serve one another in love as you have called us to do. Let us seek to be obedient and let us know that you alone are worthy of the glory. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn.